On this uh, Right to Life Sunday, there is good news to be shared um, in this struggle uh, to protect unborn babies. Uh, Good news like in this past decade, uh, the rate of abortion has dropped by 20% in the last decade. Uh, That's good news because it means more babies are, are, uh, are experiencing life today because of that. The bad news is, uh, this past year, over 800,000, 800,000, the number one cause of death in America, by far, is the taking of unborn life. The good news is, um, there is post-abortion care and counseling that is being provided more and more and more uh, to women who have... uh, had an abortion, men who have um, uh, pursued that and uh, supported it. Uh, The good news is that post-abortion care is ministering to thousands and thousands of women, and they're finding finding, um, the forgiveness of God. They're experiencing true freedom from guilt and... uh, They're growing in their relationship with the God who loves them. And that's good news. The bad news is this year, tens of thousands of more women are going to need that post-abortive care counseling. The good news is in our community, we have this ministry called Abba Care that for numerous decades now has been on the forefront of... um, of protecting unborn life, of ministering to uh, women who have had abortions. The good news is we have people in this community, people from our own congregation, who are supporting, who are working, uh, um, using their gifts to make a difference in the lives of women who are struggling with a pregnancy they don't want and considering ending. Um, and because of Abacare, lives are, are being preserved today. And we have a ministry, Abacare, that even if a woman has had an abortion, they are providing, Abacare is providing post-abortion counseling and ministering in this community. Um, the good news is Abacare is growing, and they're thriving. In fact, uh, the good news is this coming year, uh, they are going to open another office. That's the plan up in um, Martinsburg. Uh, and I won't say it's the bad news, but let's say the incomplete news is they need our resources, they need our prayers uh, to continue to expand the ministry uh, of Abacare. And um, so if you sense maybe God wanting you to help support in some way this ministry, go to their website, call our church office, we'll direct you there, and uh, consider using um, the benefits and the blessings God has given you to help this ministry, because in a world that seems to be constantly putting out bad news, there is good news in a ministry like Abacare and all the various uh, opportunities and ministries that they provide. Um, reality is, bad news um, abounds. We're studying the book of Romans, and uh, if you don't like bad news, well, then the first three chapters of Romans is not for you. 
Because that's what Paul does in the first three chapters of Romans is kind of lay out some bad news. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we continue our study here of the book of Romans. Uh, open your either printed book or your digital copy of the Bible, and I really want to encourage you to bring your Bibles look so we can look at the text in the Bible. But um, we just started studying this book, and um, no doubt the first three chapters kind of give some bad news, like verse 18 of chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God is angry with the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Bad news is like in chapter 3, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. It's bad news. God's wrath is against all unrighteousness of men, and there's none righteous. In fact, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of those sins is death. We live in a broken and a very dysfunctional world. As we saw a little bit last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 22, we live in a world of futility. We live in a world that is utterly in darkness, living in utter emptiness and futility. And Paul says in that verse, uh, verse 22, I think it is, of chapter 8, we are enslaved to corruption. Enslaved to corruption. That's the world in which we live in. And why is this so? How has this come about? Why is the world in the mess we're in? What, what does the Bible have to say? What does Romans have to say about this? Well, back to chapter 1 and verse 18. We've looked at this verse uh, the last week, the wrath of God is being manifested, and it's a present tense, so there's this ongoing manifestation, this ongoing display, this ongoing revelation of the anger of God, the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why, it says, because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Man in his sinful heart, in his unrighteousness, is suppressing. And that word suppress means, it's kind of a graphic term almost. It has the idea of, of strangling or hindering or holding down. I picture somebody who's drowning, and they're trying to burst into the surface and get a, a gulp of air, and they're being pressed down by someone. They're being suppressed to do that. Truth is trying to rear its head and, and shout to our fallen world. And it keeps getting suppressed, strangled, hindered. The ungodliness and unrighteousness of humanity suppresses truth. We live in a world where the revelation of God is not being heard. He explains in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Really some interesting words here. What truth is being suppressed? What truth is being strangled? Well, it's truth about God, that which is known about God. But it's evident within them, Paul says, because God has made it so. How has God made truth about himself? And he explains the invisible attributes of God. His character, his eternal power, his divine nature. He said it's very evident, it's clearly seen through the things he's made. God has stamped his his image or his, uh, his fingerprints on all that he has created. Psalm 19, the psalmist says, uh, uh, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. You know, nature is, night and day is pouring forth speech. It's shouting to us of, of, a, of a good and kind and powerful and mighty and majestic creator. It is clearly evident it's kind of a purposeful oxymoron, is it not, there in verse 20? His invisible attributes are clearly seen. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. God has made it evident. The problem is not due to some type of fuzzy message. God's message about who he is, his self-revelation Paul is saying is plainly revealed. It's plainly evident by the things he has made. I find it interesting in verse 20 that these characteristics of our creator God, it says in the last part of verse 20, can be understood, can be intellectually perceived by looking at creation. Man is without excuse. Man can intellectually examine the universe around them from the smallest of the smallest of microscopic truths to the, to the most vast uh, galaxies of the world. God has put his fingerprint on it all, and his invisible attributes, his very nature can be observed, and not only observed, can be, it says, understood and clearly perceived by creation. One of the missionaries that we have supported throughout almost over 30 years here at Fellowship Bible Church, many of you have heard his story, Julius Murgor, um, is from Kenya, and he grew up in a, in a nomadic tribe called the Pokot tribe. And they would take their herds and they would move from sections to sections in different parts of western Kenya and, and eastern Uganda, and he would, as a little boy, he would move and take his dad's um, herds, and he would help herd them. And, and by his own personal testimony, it's fascinating. He was sitting up on a tree one day. He said it was a, he was a horrible herdsman. He was never going to grow up and be a good cowboy. And, uh, but he was sitting up at the tree, and as he pondered, and he would look oftentimes and see the trees and the, or the stars, and he would, he would see the different um, uh, um, uh, aspects of creation, and he would ponder, what? there's got to be something more than the spirit world of our ancestors that we're worshiping. There's got to be something more. Well, God informed Julius what that something more was as a friend 
a few years later, told him about the God who created and loved him so much that he gave his son for him, and Julius Merger became a follower of Jesus Christ. But he was looking and contemplating. It was clearly evident that there was something more. Clearly evident. A number of years ago, a few of us went to, over to uh, a Patrick Henry College. They were doing a, a series of lectures on a special uh, weekend. And some brilliant scientists were there speaking uh, about the design of, of creation from the, uh, I, mean, I, I, I couldn't understand the thing of it. Um, I, I probably have shared this before, but there were some lectures on the DNA and the strands of DNA. And, and then the, another guy talked about the, he was an astronomer and talked about the vastness of, crea- of the universe and how all the shouts, it shouts of an incredible creative God. How do you miss that? How in the world do you miss that? And yet it's being suppressed. The clearly evidential um, examples of God's fingerprints all over is being strangled all the time. Suppressed, pushed down. Men are without excuse, he says in the last part of verse 20, because you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Um, God is revealed. Man is not ignorant about God because he cannot help but be. He's ignorant about God because he's choosing to be. You can't miss it. God has always left himself a witness. Paul said this in the book of Acts. He said, God did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Look around. It's witnessing to a great God. You see, no one is ever going to be allowed to stand before God and say, hey, I didn't know. I didn't know. No. Mankind is without excuse. People will end up separated from God for all of eternity, not because they never had a chance to know God. It's because they've spurned the clearly evidence, the knowledge of God that they could have known They could have perceived, but what God has created. It's like a man who has a disease. He knows about a world-renowned doctor who multiple times has cured that very same disease, but he chooses not to go to him and chooses instead to try to fix his own disease. God has gone to great lengths to make himself known, and his creation reveals it. Now, the man who, who, who... coined the term or came up with the, with the term um, Big Bang Theory. He was, his name was Sir Fred Hoyle. He was a British mathematician and astronomer. He wrote numerous books in his life, but one book he wrote entitled The Intelligent Universe. And Sir Fred Hoyle, uh, who was no Christian, he was not a follower of Jesus Christ, but apparently he was an intellectually honest, brilliant man. <laughs> And in that book, The Intelligent Universe, he writes that for organic life to happen by accident is, quote, as ridiculous and improbable as the proposition that a tornado blowing through a junkyard could assemble a Boeing 747. (laughs) There's an intellectually honest man. And by the way, those intellectually honest scientists are growing, apparently, 
They're looking at their fields of expertise, their discipline, and realizing, no, look, (laughs) something doesn't come from nothing. Think about it. It's utter stupidity. Now, we might not talk about this particular God, but there's something out there they're saying. His invisible attributes, his divine character, something powerful and orderly and wise and loving has created something. And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of Sir Fred Hoyle and in spite of many, many scholarly folks accepting something of intellectual honesty about the design, truth continues to be shoved down, suppressed, strangled. And so what happened to this clearly seen revelation of God? What did man do with it? Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Instead, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Boy, what a picture of modern man. And professing to be wise, they became fools. Even though they knew God through creation, that truth is suppressed. They come up with futile, empty speculations, and the foolish heart is darkened. Rejecting the clear revelation of God's eternal power, of his majestic, glorious creation, his divine nature, refusing to live out the very thing for which we have been created for, to glorify our creator. Refusing to give him thanks, fallen man, man in their sinful heart, spirals downward. Again, professing to be wise, they end up being fools and exchange the glory, verse 23, of the incorruptible God for an image, for a form of corruptible man or birds or four-footed animals or of crawling, slippery, crawling creatures. Now, this whole passage, by the way, it's just filled with uh, analogies back to Genesis, the creation account, where everything God made was good, the creation account. It's, it, it shouts of a glorious God Um, And this downward spiral kind of takes us back to that Genesis 3 account where the slippery, crawling creature comes before Eve and says, did God say that you can't eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden? That you'll die? You won't die. Because God knows that the day you eat of it, you're going to be like him. And truth is suppressed. The truth of God's word is strangled. Foolishness abounds. Speculations. Truth suppressed leads to truth perverted. And the effects are clear, are evident. We move away from glorifying God. We move away from honoring Him and giving Him thanks. The downward spiral takes place. And the tragic results of man's rejection of God is this manifestation of God's wrath. That's what it means. We looked at this a little bit last week, but continue with verse 24. Therefore, therefore, God gave them over. Verse 26, for this reason, God 
gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over to their sin. What follows here is a description of God's response, a response of his righteous, holy wrath against man's rejection and suppression of truth about himself. God gives them over. God abandons mankind. It's like a judicial abandonment. He abandons mankind to their own sinfulness. It's not like God hurls thunderbolts and lightning bolts upon us and you know, makes us all into ash. I mean, that's the way I would have done it. But, you know, God just, it's like he steps back and he says, you want to suppress truth? Then I will allow you to live in the full consequences of truth suppressed, of your rebellious heart against me. You want to live life apart from me? Back up. Have at it. Have at it. It's an active expression, this wrath of God, of withdrawing his sovereign, restraining presence or grace. And what results? An intensification of sin and the the deadly consequence of it. It's a judgment of handing mankind over to the natural consequences and the malignancy of sin of life apart from living under the glory and honor of one's creator. And it's destroying mankind. One commentator put it this way, God's judgment has consigned sinners not to hell, but to sin. The deadly consequences of sin. The picture here is a man saying, I want what I want. It's it's that Genesis 3, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm... And the fruit looked good, and it was a delight to the eyes, and it could make one wise. Oh, my life will be better. I'll be improved. I'll, be fine. I'll find more fulfillment. I'll find greater happiness. If I just take control of my life and live it the way I want to do, I can grab for all the gusto of life. It's within my reach. The force is within you, Mark. <laughs> find it within yourself, because you don't need God. Truth suppressed. Truth suppressed. And so God gives man over. Okay, that's what you want? He gives us over. And look how those words, those verses unpack. Verse 24, God gives them over. In the lusts of their heart to impurity, sexual sins now abound so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And by the way, in the original text, as Paul wrote this, he, put an, he actually put an article in front of the word lie. Some of your translations may have that. Unfortunately, mine does not. Mine says he, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. It should be they exchange the truth of God for the lie. The lie. What lie was it? Well, the lie back in Genesis 3. You can be like God. You can live Um, autonomously from God. You don't need God. You can be your own self-made person. You can experience life, and you don't need God in the process. You can do it however you want to do it. You don't need God. And that's the lie that mankind can live apart from God. 
that God can be usurped and replaced by self. And so God gives them over. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, verse 26, God gives them over to degrading passions. You see how it moves from um, the lusts, verse 24, God gives them over to over in the, in the lusts of their heart. Lusts are things that can be curbed. Those are little, little fires in our soul, but it, it reaches full-blown when it says in verse 26, God has given them over to the degrading passions. Overwhelming um, passions. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire toward one another. Men with men committed indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. Yes, here's the sad reality. Homosexuality, the perversions here, the corresponding pain where all that gender dysphoria leads. Again, it harkens back to Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so he created man, male and female. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. My plan to rule over my perfect creation is man and woman in harmonious relationship, partnering together to honor the God who designed them. And it's all perverted. Why? Because God has done this. You want to live in a world without me? You want to live autonomously? You want to find life apart from me? Have at it. And perversions abound. God gives them over. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved, to a debased mind. By the way, there's a fun little play on words here that Paul does. When it says he, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, I think some of our translations said they did not, um, um, they, they did not acknowledge God plainly or something like that. They did not retain the knowledge of God. It's a word that means to assess, to test and find either approval or disapproval. Mankind looks at all this that is clearly evident, created in the image of God, that which is even stamped within them. It's clearly evident and can be known and perceived by the things that are created. And they've assessed it and tested it, and they have found it unapprovable. God is disapproved. We don't need him. Now, here's where the play of word comes. And so God gives them over to what? A debased, depraved mind. That's from the similar word. He gives them over to a depraved mind that has been tested and found unapproved. In other words, man puts God to the test and concludes he's not worth knowing. God puts man to the test and finally concludes He's incapable now of knowing. A depraved mind. 
this downward spiral of sin. And you get this whole list of things listed here in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil and full of envy and murder and strife. And eh, some of those don't sound so bad, do they? You know, okay, envy and some deceit and a little bit of malice, uh, you know, gossip. So, well, you know, who doesn't? Slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant. Well, okay, we still all have a little problem with pride. Boastful, well, not me, other people do. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents who hasn't been without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and oh yeah, we sure love to scale and, and arrange these lists of vices. The ones that show up in my life are not as bad as the ones that are showing up in your life. <laughs> and certainly the homosexual, why they are the worst at the bottom of the bottom. It's all in this list. Look, this is, this is mankind. We live in this, this fallen world of sin where the wrath of God is being displayed. He pulls back his sovereign restraining grace and mankind runs headlong into a world of sin. And it manifests itself in all sorts of ways to the ruination of mankind, the pain of mankind. And the climax of this human depravity Verse 32, it says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice it. Boy, is that not a picture of our day? They give hearty approval to those who practice it. My goodness, have you read what's going on in the United Methodist Church? Some of you have come from that. Uh, people giving hearty approval to the ordination of homosexuals. That's been going on for decades. A friend of mine in town, Brad Hill, who's the pastor, you saw that in the Winchester Star, Brad's the pastor at Grace Downtown. He's getting vilified because he takes a stand for biblical, traditional marriage. And he's the bad guy. Why? Because we're living in a world that's gone mad. Foolish speculations, profess to be wise, they're fools. Hearts darkened. Truth being strangled and suppressed. I was rereading Francis Schaeffer's little book, Death in the City. Francis Schaeffer, that <clears throat> venerated Christian theologian and philosopher of a generation ago, he wrote that book, Death in the City, back in 1969, over 50 years ago, 51 years ago. Prophetic, but even in his own time, he said, man is justly under the wrath of God who really exists and who deals with men on the basis of his character. And if the justice of that wrath is obvious concerning any generation, it is our own. There's only one perspective we can have of the post-Christian world of our generation, an understanding that our culture and our country is under the wrath of God. Wake up! Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. And if it was true 50 years ago, according to Francis Schaeffer, it's certainly true in 2020. We live in a world of unrighteousness. We have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And the world has been turned over upside down ever since the serpent hissed his way into the perfect garden and said, you can be like God. Do I have a deal for you? And so what's the solution to the unrighteousness of our world, of our day? What's the solution to the unrighteousness of man? What is the hope for unrighteous man to ever become righteous? And see God's wrath turned. Is there hope for unrighteous man? Wait a minute. But just last week, wasn't it last week? We just read the verses before in verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news. The good news about Jesus, the story of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in that good news story of Jesus is the power of God to rescue. That's what the word salvation means. To rescue anyone who believes it. To the Jew first, to the Greek. How does it work, Paul? How, how can the story of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the good news from God, unleash the power of God and rescue the unrighteousness of mankind. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live. Wait a minute, I thought there were none righteous. The righteous man shall live by faith. In the message of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, Romans teaches that God deals with the problem of sin, of unrighteousness, in two ways. Through a revelation of his wrath, verse 18, or a revelation of his righteousness, verse 17. Now, Paul's going to unpack that in the next number of chapters. But let us leave here today with a little hint of the good news. You see, while God's wrath is currently being manifested, in the present tense, his righteousness is also being revealed. You see, there is hope for unrighteous man. Not to come to his own righteousness, to find within himself some righteous standing. Righteousness, by the way, means God's absolutely pure, morally pure character and actions. God is spotless in his character, in his morality, in his actions, in his words, in who he is. And that righteous God says, I've got some good news for you unrighteous humans. I will give you my righteousness as a free gift. No strings attached, no fine print, no bottom line. The answer to the unrighteousness of men 
is a holy God, a righteous God, who comes and he says, I have a package for you. It's a gift. I will give you my righteousness as a free gift. What, what do I have to do? I mean, okay, I mean, how much money do I have to give? How many years of service do I have to, how much blood do I need to shed? What, what, what do I have to do to get this? And he says, I'll give it to anyone who believes me. Anyone who simply believes that I'll give you this gift, you receive it by faith. The righteousness of God is being revealed, Paul says, from faith to faith. A free gift. That's the message of Romans. How undeserving, unrighteous sinners are given the free gift of the righteousness of God and then can begin experiencing day by day, lived out in our life, the righteousness of God, exemplified, just like Jesus, lived out in our life, moment by moment, where truth is no longer suppressed and God can, will be glorified and given his proper due and we can live lives of thanksgiving worthy of him all because God said, I've got a gift for you. The answer to the unrighteousness of men and the display of God's wrath is the display of the grace and kindness of God in the gift of his righteousness. And Paul will unpack this especially in chapter 3 when we get there. We leave today here with maybe some unsettling thoughts, a world suppressing the truth, the clearly evident revelation of God, a world that wants nothing to do with God, to live autonomously of God, a world that is experiencing the wrath of God even now in this very moment, but a world where the righteousness of God is every second of this day, every second of time, being freely offered as a gift. Have you received the free gift of a good and kind and loving God? Have you stopped trying to impress God with your own self-righteousness, which you have none of? And will you receive the free gift of His righteousness? You see, that's the message of the gospel, the good news. Jesus died for your sins. And he rose again, and he gives you his life in exchange for your own. Have you received the free gift of Jesus? I pray that today you won't walk out of here without understanding and receiving the free gift by faith. Would you bow your head, please, and Father... How can, we, how can we not worship you and praise you for what you have done for us? You, it's the right thing to do to display your anger towards sin to all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because truth about you is constantly from the very beginning in that Garden of Eden experience of death to our very day Truth is being suppressed.
about you. You're not receiving the glory or the thanks that is due you. We live in a world, Father, where mankind is worshiping themselves or anything else that they may have even created. And Lord, we live in a world where the ramifications of your wrath are so clearly evident. You giving over mankind to pursue headlong the destructive force of their own sin. Oh, Father, we need to be rescued. This world needs to be rescued, and Lord, it's, we know it's not going to come through political power. It's not going to come through um, any other means by which man can come up with it. We're not going to find it within ourselves. We can't work harder to achieve in it. It's something external to us, Father, and thank you that you've given us the book of Romans to tell us that. Your righteousness has been given. Jesus, the righteous one, has come. And I pray, Father, that you will open our hearts, even we who know you as our, as our Savior. Father, you'll open our hearts up to you more and more, that we will be true worshipers of you and glorify your name. And then be light in a world of darkness. And stand boldly for truth. Oh, Father, help us in this day and age in which we live. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.